Champagne soccer. It's a lot of hot things going on in the beautiful game. It's an international break, but before we get into that stuff, if we ever get into that stuff, because it's cracking in the club game, I just want to give y'all a little bit of champagne to start the show, if y'all don't mind. But first of all, how are you guys doing, man? Living my best life, man. Oh, nice. Feeling good, feeling great, living top of the league. Can't complain. Mm-hmm. Shout out to my blues. The check cleared. This league is still a race. Don't be so relaxed. <laughs> now, before we get into the weekend of club action in Europe for, you know, the top five leagues, that's our focus, especially the Premier League, because we all support Premier League clubs. I felt that uh, I just want to shout out uh, Gotham FC for winning the NWSL final over OL Reign. This was Megan Rapinoe's last match and Ali Krieger's last match. Shout out Ali Krieger, the greatest athlete to ever go to Forest Park High School, <laughs> the high school Anthony and I went to. Um, her team won 2 1. Um, and it was tough because Megan Rapinoe got hurt. You could see Ali Krieger walk to her like, hey, man, says something. And Megan Rapinoe was like, hey, she told her, you better wrap that up and come back out here. And she was like, I don't think I can. But uh, the star of the match was Margaret Purse. She had an assist on both of Gotham FC's goals. Also made big defensive plays on the wing to stop counterattacks to press. It was a very good match, high quality. Uh, and you can tell that they're putting more money behind women's football in the league action over here. So that's cool. And I also want to salute Ali Krieger because at a time when American women did not go to Europe, she was the only one literally there. She won the Champions League with Frankfurt 2008, highly accomplished in high school, college, as a pro. You know, I'm sure she'll be in the American Soccer Hall of Fame. She got a stadium up the street from the crib, named after her in her honor to, you know, give something to the community. So, yeah, salute to Ali Krieger. And um, another thing is the Africa Super League. That joint was fast, y'all. <laughs> had their final already. Now, the Africa Super League is a competition that was backed by FIFA, ironically, just like they were shadow backing the men's Super League in Europe. Now, the plan for them is to create a tournament that will become the premier competition. Basically, they're trying to overtake the Champions League and uh, UEFA Cup in Africa. So the first champion of this is Mamelode Sundowns. They are balling man they won three two on aggregate and this competition it got a lot of controversy because of the issues with attendance the issues with travel and things like that but the competition was fun and uh Marcus I already know you got an OG that loves South African football Mamelode Sundowns they're a South African club that 
they've had their ups and downs recently. They were founded in 1970, but their owner, Patrice Motsepe, that brother, he, he, I don't know, man. It's like he got the golden touch recently. So salute to them. Salute to FIFA and their propaganda. Question. Fred, question. Go ahead. Go ahead, man. So I seen that this this was created because of that president, the CONCACAF president. It's like a favor because the FIFA guy is like best friends with him. Yeah, 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 yeah. So basically, one of the clubs in Africa, one of the historic clubs. And he owned one of the clubs, right? Yeah, of course. Come on, man. Come on, man. <laughs> so he, so they, they started this Super League to get it cracking because they feel like if you look at Africa, the best teams concentrate in Northern Africa, also known as Arabic Africa and South Africa. The Western African nations have fallen off in a major way. And then the Central and Eastern Africa, Central Africa is pretty good. And then East Africa, it, it just ain't there. So, so Chiefs didn't make it? What the hell going on here? <laughs> what is this kaiser chiefs yeah 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 they, they didn't get in man wow so eventually they're gonna expand it but you know as the startup they wanted to you know soft launch it and not have it as major I think it, in. it started it with eight teams you know so eventually they're gonna try to expand to 24 in the 24 25 season so yeah the four hey. Go ahead. Damn. Go ahead. Question for you and Marcus, since both of y'all pay attention to the African leagues a lot more than I think I do. Uh, why do you think some of the talent or some of the or some of that has fallen off for like the Western African teams and the Southern African teams? Because you're right, like even national, internationally, like the Northern, it seems like the Northern African teams are the ones that's making more noise right now. Um, but why do you think that is? Though, why do you think those those other those Central and Western African nations of uh have fallen off like they have because their talent is more focused on running to Europe as soon as possible. Juventus just opened up an academy in Ghana. A lot of people have been frustrated by the rates and prices to join the academy. They feel like, man, this is just another way to finesse kids and give them false hope. Everyone's going to try to pay and then, of course, you know the game. Not everyone's going to make it. Not even 1%, 5% will make it. So it's a tough, you know, challenge. And the goal is now for everybody is to go to Europe as soon as possible. While the South African players, the Northern African players, they're more so. Think about it. Who's the most famous South African player you know? Sorry, they don't have no superstar. North Africa, you can even look at people like Salah El Nene, the people that were born and raised in Egypt or in their respective countries. They at least play for their clubs before they go to Europe. While in Africa, for example, Mohamed Kourous was at the Right to Dream Academy, which is basically an incubator to create talent to go to Europe. Then he went to Norgeland. Then he's at Ajax. Now he's at West Ham. Uh, Isahaku, one of Ghana's best players, he played like one year at the top flight in Ghana, and then he jumped to sport in Lisbon immediately. So that's what happened. So a lot of our talent is ready to jump. So they never build chemistry to have a dominant team. Because, yeah, back in the days, 
The Ghana Premier League used to be turned. Hearts of Oak, Asante Kotoko, Great Olympics. I mean, Hearts of Oak won a treble in 2000. So, but yeah, it's a long, a long way from there. It's the same, like you can argue with Brazilian soccer, how the quality was higher in the past because more people stayed in Brazil longer. They would go to Europe in their early mid twenties. Now, as soon as they turn 18, I'm out of here. Like we already know Hendrik is going to Real Madrid. Vitor Roque is going to Barcelona. So that's changed things. Hey, I will say this uh, from a novice perspective, from even looking at it from football manager, whenever I play with the uh, African teams and the South African teams, Frankfurt, all these German teams are coming and getting these niggas at 16 years old. Okay. You cannot build these niggas up past 17. It's some foreign team that's getting, like, they're getting interested for little pay. Like, it'd be funny how the game reflect kind of real life in a sense. Like, it'd be wild. And looking, I didn't know that, that the tournament is already completed, Dad. This shit is wild. <laughs> yeah, I didn't, it was quick. Why did you, you should have texted me, okay? Grand opening, grand closing, man. It was, Bro, it was quick. How you do two rounds in one month? I mean, hey, it's only eight teams, so. <laughs> <laughs> But, yeah, it seemed like they get their talent plucked a lot earlier. And, like, kind of how Dan said, like, they kind of setting themselves up to go to Europe. They not worried about, like, staying over there because the money is different also. Like, you got to add that fact, I would say. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. hey, I, I, I just want to ask you this, Marcus, or sorry, all of y'all. I'll start with you, Ephraim. Do you think it's fishy that the president of the African Federation – also owns the team that just won the first African Football <laughs> League title. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes, yes yeah, I do. Yeah. Absolutely, I do. Africa at its best. And, it's and, like saying Roger Goodell owns an NFL team, right? Or, or yeah, yeah, that's exactly yeah. what it is. Yeah, I don't know because that because I well in a way, but but still, yeah, heck, nah, nah, man, that's that's a little. That's a little funny. And I know you'd be talking about the corruption and shit in, yeah. in African football, which is it sucks. It sucks to hear that, but. It's real, <laughs> so. Yeah, man. Anthony, are you feeling that? Does that sound like a nice, fair and square competition where the president of an organization has a team and they win the championship? <laughs> man, that's blatant. That's blatant. Uh, theft right there. He's, yeah, he's <laughs> a villain. Yeah, real talk. He's a villain. Yeah, man, Marcus, you mentioned it as well, but it, we got to emphasize it again for the people that missed it out there. <laughs> so I just put I put my my specs on. I don't even well, but I'm looking at these matches, bro, and there's some fishy shit going on, bro. <clears throat> Sundown, uh, the they up one zero on aggregate, and you win a game with ten men. Come on now, come on now. <laughs> Every time they play a game, they got the more possession. It, who paid this? Hey, Amen. And break look, look at this, guys. The winner got four million dollars. The runner-up got three million dollars. He straight pocketed that. Semi-finalists one point seven million. Quarter-finalists one million. And if you were around the world, you could only watch it on FIFA Plus. If you're in Africa. Uh, you know, in the Middle East, and now I forgot that's a term now. Mina, Middle East and North Africa, a little like being sports. And if you're in Morocco, you could watch it on Aradia. So 
Yeah, even the the coverage wasn't really there. So yeah, the money wasn't there. So hey, I guess salute, man. <laughs> but uh let's talk to where the money let's talk about where the money is for real, man. The Premier League. I think this weekend we had the most exciting match of the season so far. Chelsea four, Manchester City four. Great tactical showdown controversial calls on both sides questionable penalties you know on both sides captain deflecto goals a lot of press and movement interchanging ah man fantastic match I guess it was only right that Cole Palmer equalized it at the end Raheem also scored uh Anthony how did you feel about this match um you mentioned I think before we started recording that you also watched it earlier today to refresh your mind. So how do you feel about that match overall and your team's performance? It was a great match. I don't feel like most Chelsea fans feel uh, they take it. I'm seeing it like a win from their end. Honestly, it feels like a loss, uh, but I'm glad with the draw, we're still at the top of the league. Um, with a key out, John Stone's out. It's nice to see Pep still sticking with um, the attacking center back, in a sense, because Akanji now, like I brought up last week, he's the he's a center back that was playing the double pivot next to Rodri at times and um, helping with the attack, and the back three would turn into uh, Vardy Ole, Ruben Diaz, and um, Walker at times. And so tactically, it was nice seeing the team, how, how we uh, were shaped. It, it kind of made Bernardo and Alvarez like two number 10s on each side that could help uh, progress the attack with Doku and Foden extra wide. Um, so th those kind of things are nice to watch. Other than that, the draw feels like an L. Hey, bro, I appreciate you saying that. We we, we got to remember I said that like a, a last year podcast. I forgot what number. What was that? A draw is an L, bro. Yeah, man. Come on, man. Yeah, I ain't, I'm not celebrating this. I'm not celebrating. <laughs> yeah, the Chelsea fans are body popping for this draw, but they feel like Anthony Taylor has an agenda against them. There's been a lot of controversial calls that went against their favor in the past when Anthony Taylor was managing. And, you know, one is they feel like, and I've seen a lot of people feel like that penalty that Cucurella got on Erlen Holland was dodgy because they were both grabbing on each other. Uh, what did you guys think about that? I didn't get to see the play. Um, so I just saw the penalty shot. I didn't see the uh the actual penalty, like the what what caused it. So I I don't have really an opinion on that right now. You said on Holland? Yeah. I don't remember that one, but I know that I know that the one on uh the Chelsea player, bro, rules that Ruben, he cleaned homie out. Well, look yeah. at the replay. He got the ball first. He did, you know but he cleaned, he cleaned, bro. Hey, you gonna lie. 
it was like he did a fake shot, and then Brett just was, just t- still was slide. He couldn't stop it. I would say though, uh, my my quick opinion on the game. I mean, I thought it was quite kind of fitting that both of the Man City players got sh- got their shit off. Um, but I kind of looked at it more in a, re- a recruiting aspect because you know we played them after the break, and you know that's gonna be the dry bowl. But um, it was like on the city side. Since y'all didn't have a key, Akanji actually looked kind of solid. Ruben looked like he need more time out there. Um, what was that? I didn't really see anything from their midfield. Holland was on one. That that one shot with a goalkeeper, uh, Rhea, he made a nice little stop. I thought that was gonna go in. Like he just looked, he looked active. He was up for that game. The grandpa, he a gift and a curse. He like Darwin. He gave you a goal, then he do deflect those shit. So, like, I thought it was just a, like, it gave you everything in that. It was, hey, look, that was the game. If you a neutral and you trying to show, or anybody, you want to show them the game of uh, how it is in the Premier League, that was the one. Definitely. And I think um, Pep was brave to try to continue that wide center backs uh, movement he's been doing. But, if you guys notice, that helped Chelsea take advantage of the midfield because what they were doing is that double pivot of Caicedo and Enzo, especially Caicedo, would stay more central. And then Cole Palmer would tuck inside so the box midfield wasn't as effective against Chelsea because um, they had five men in there. But because of that sacrifice, the flanks were more open and City took advantage of that. And then also Chelsea took advantage of it, especially Raheem Sterling. He went back in time machine and will look like his Liverpool days. Bro, it's the Braves, bro. He led Chelsea in dribbling. I think he completed three dribbles in the match. Phil Foden was excellent as well. He completed four dribbles. I mentioned one uh, in one of our chats that he had he had Thiago Silva lost. Hey, we got to give respect. We got to give respect to Reese, though, bro. Yeah, Reese did well, but a lot of the stuff that Reese is getting credit for is because Cole Palmer was helping him double. You go back and watch that match, a lot of times Doku was against Cole Palmer and he would be freezing. Like, I respect Cole Palmer. His work rate and uh, Gallagher, their work rates were excellent. After the match, they showed a report about how Enzo was talking to Caicedo, trying to get his South American brother to pull up for them to be teammates. And you got to see Enzo fully, you know, in action with someone like Caicedo next to him. And by the way, Romeo Lavia, you played yourself, boy, because, hey, do you know how to speak Spanish? I don't know, because look like that double pivot's going to be what it is a lot. I think Lavia going to wish he went to Liverpool. But uh, moving forward, though, I think, um, the thing that City, it's not like they played terrible because it was still 4-4. So it's not like City was exploited all match. Both teams had glaring weaknesses and both teams took advantage of it. But you can tell when City gets Aki back, John Stones back. I don't know if they'll continue with this wide center back experiment because it leaves them too exposed in the middle. But hey... And we also talked about it earlier that the teams were attacking the left side of City more than ever. And that's Raheem Sterling was all through that. 
So what did you think about that, Anthony? Do you think that moving forward, Pep will try to adjust the shape even more? Because you know how it is. It's chess. People have gotten accustomed to that 3-2-4-1, so you have to expand it. Now it's 4-2-3-1 with the wide center backs. And like you mentioned, Aki playing the double pivot. Um, What did you see tactically that you can say, hey, maybe next time we can try to exploit this? I believe what you're what you're asking is something that I'm thinking about, I guess too, is with the back four or like a solid line, because we are exposed. And uh you brought up a point that Pochettino cooks us a lot. So I wasn't surprised about that. And um with that with the back three, I would like, you know, traditional back four and at first, it looked like the, the team was lined up as Bernardo was the double pivot next to Rodri. And we were going 4-2-3-1. Uh, and um, yeah, I, I believe that will be what we do going forward uh, to maintain um, a, a solid attack that can uh, defend itself against a counterattack. But I don't believe... I don't expect Bernardo to always be that double pivot next to Rodri if that's the case. But I don't know who – maybe Kovacic probably be that position. Um, but I believe we'll do 4-2-3-1 going, going on in the future. For sure, yeah. I think I could see that happen also. And, uh, Arcus, let me ask you this. You've had a love-hate relationship with Raheem Sterling – you see Gareth Southgate hasn't called him up to England in the last few, you know, selections. This time, Cole Palmer got the thumbs up over him. Rico Lewis, salute to him. He's also on the national team now, by the way. The young brothers are balling. But how did it feel to see Raheem, you know, go back in that time machine and get his dribble on? Um, before I answer that, I did just watch the highlight of that uh, that Holland joint. Yeah, Cucurella, that was a penalty only because he was holding that jersey. But I kind of don't like how Holland was moving. Like that's a little dude. I kind of would want to see him boss up and just abuse that nigga. <laughs> yeah, that's why some people feel like, hey, it shouldn't be a penalty because they were both pulling each other. Mm -hmm. Then he just fell on top of him. That would kind of make it look kind of fishy in my opinion, but it, it was because he had that jersey pretty yeah. heavy. But to answer your question, this season, I kind of, I thought you kind of peeped. I've been kind of, I kind of like the way how it's grandpa or uncle Raheem for the young boys. He got yeah. the braids <laughs> and he, and when he started scoring, they started scoring. Like, it took some. It took him being a leader uh, for the front three for them to start for for them to start doing something. And then I guess Potch seeing, hey, I got two city players. Why not use them the same way how they would use over there? And like it's kind of working out because him and Cole already got a chemistry. Like, I mean, he getting his shit off, bro. He in the hey, look, he more in the right position than Nick than Jackson, and that's what make it funny. I'm ready for Nakunku come to come back bro like i mean oh my my bad i, I don't want to cut you off go ahead oh go, I, I was about to be over with but yeah it, i mean it's gonna be interesting for chelsea I, I want them to stay the bottom of the table but shit 
<laughs> Raheem, keep doing your thing, bro. Shit. Hey man, Raheem almost celebrated too too much for my for my liking. As hey, a, he ate, did y'all as see a, Jackson pointing player. to the crowd to make him look at the ground? He wouldn't look at the crowd though. Yeah, that was yeah, Cole Palmer. He made, yeah, he did that to Cole Palmer too. Look at them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He wouldn't look yeah. up though. He tried to like calm, yeah. the calm down thing at the end. I thought he was gonna he do was it to LeBron James. That's what it looked like. That's what he wanted to do until he was like, Oh, yeah, yeah I forgot. I'm a city legend. I got to chill. Yeah, yeah, he has right. to chill. He yeah. Yeah. yeah, he got excited yeah. for a second. Oh, yeah, yeah, relax. <laughs> but nah, man, it was exciting to see him back to his best. Um, and I saw a heat map that showed that Raheem was the most advanced Chelsea player. Uh, Nicholas Jackson was a little removed to try to help with the link up play, build up. And he did pretty well, and then he scored also. So, yeah, it looks like uh, Chelsea is going to be dangerous when Nkuku comes back. They've also been dealing with a lot of injuries all year, defensively especially. So, yeah, Chelsea does look like they'll get it back together. And uh, Pep's record, you know, Pep is the most dominant manager when it comes to modern league football that we've seen. And... I tried to look up his record against other managers to see, you know, who's given Pep the most losses. And of course, number one is Jorgen Klopp with 12 and 28 matchups. Second is uh, Jose Mourinho with seven wins against Pep in 25 matchups. And then next is Pochettino with uh, four wins in 23 matchups. I also got to salute the other people with four. Antonio Conte was whooping Pep's ass. He has four wins out of seven against him. And then, hey, he from your big homie, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, four wins against Pep in nine matchups. So what do you guys think there's a correlation with that? Starting with you, Ephraim. I mean, I think some some managers, you know, obviously you have to have the players in, involved as well, but some managers just know – a way to kind of create, like, you know, I'll mention Tifo and how they broke it down, right? They broke down how Chelsea did it with chaos, basically. Like, you create chaos for an organized team like like Manchester City, a team that, that runs like a machine, uh, wants to hold possession all, all match. But you you create that chaos for them. Uh, you, you play more direct. Uh, you find your chances to hold possession. And Chelsea, let's give Chelsea credit. They're a really good possession-based team as well. The number two in the Premier League, I think 62% is what their average is, which is obviously phenomenal, right? Um, so you got a team that can that that knows how to do that as well. Uh, and the team is not afraid. And a, and a manager that that has had success, not saying he's had overwhelming success, but he's had success with his Tottenham uh teams. And as you see now, uh, even with the four-four draw. Uh, just someone. Some know how to play them. Uh, some know how to frustrate. Uh, but you also have to have the the players involved as well, the, the good players to be able to do that. So, yeah, maybe a little bit of correlation. But you you talking about some of these wins and these these massive amount of of, of uh, matches though, like four wins and you know what, seven wins and what twenty something matches for for uh for Jose, Jose Mourinho. How many of them were were draws and how many of them were losses though? So. Yeah, it just depends. Hey, what they say in boxing, bro? Styles make fights. 
And that kind of applied to this because if you look at it, Jose was par- problematic with the parking the bus. Klopp is <clears throat> hard rock with the counterattack. And I was kind of trying to look it up. I thought he had like a bad record against like them low teams, like Brentford and, and stuff like that. But no, nah, it looked like he don't wipe them up off the floor. But I think that's the difference too. It just the two different styles, they just problematic. I, I wish Claytis was here because, you know, he was very excited about that draw. He talked about sipping wine after the match. I say, hey, man, I've never seen a brother so happy just to get one point. But <laughs> uh, let's move on, guys. Uh, Manchester United are the most informed team in the Premier League. They've won four of their last five matches, moving up the table, even with the minus three goal difference. How do you feel, Ephraim? Do you see, you know, things turning around for you guys? Uh, I mean, I'll, I'll be skeptical to say that things are turning around. I think in these three matches, even though they've been like 1-0, whatever wins, like 2-1 wins and stuff, they're teams that just, quote-unquote, on paper supposed to be. So, yeah, I, I, I'm happy that we're beating teams that we probably should beat. And to be honest, probably should be beating more. But, you know, like a lot of teams are dealing with right now, injuries are are, are a, a big part of a, a problem in, in uh, Manchester, Manchester United, excuse me, uh, along with other things, of course. But, um, I mean, I, I'm going to take it while I can, right? We play Everton after the break. Uh, hopefully that should be another one we should win. Uh, and then uh, down the line we have uh, Ch- Chelsea, informed Chelsea, and, uh, and Newcastle as well coming up. So those will be the tests. Those will be – the test to see where we really are uh, if things are coming together. But uh, I will give credit where it's due. Harry Maguire is playing a little bit better. I wouldn't, I know a lot of English pundits are saying, oh, he's playing phenomenal right now. Yeah. He's playing. Okay. He's playing good. He's playing. He's playing the way that he's supposed to play in the system that that's been, that's been brought out right now. Um, You know, so, and there are some positives. I think I mentioned it last week, like winning the ball up the pitch. We were one of the best teams in the league to do that. Um, You know, so, there are some things that you can take out of this as positives, but the real challenge will be after the break into December, especially when these games, you know, the premier league does, they ramp up these games around Christmas time. You're playing a game like every, every other day, it seems like. So uh, we'll see when that pressure along with, with, with playing bigger teams, Liverpool's coming up on the horizon in at Anfield. We know what happened last, last year. They won by a touchdown. So, um, that'll be the test. Uh, I'll wait until then to really give a a fair assessment. Right now, when we're beating teams, we should be beating, even if it is by one goal. A win is a win, and you got to get those scrappy results often. That's, it's not always going to be pretty, but you can find results and, you know, show the reserve to get late winners. I think that is promising. Absolutely. And one more thing I'll say is, is like at the end of the day, doesn't matter what all the other stats say, possession, uh, shots on goal, uh, you know, whatever. It doesn't matter. There's only in, in soccer, at least there's only three stats that matter, win, losses, and draws. So uh, as long as we got those three points, that's all I care about. For sure. And another team that got those three points is Liverpool. You mentioned going to Anfield soon. They beat Brentford 3-0 in what I like to call the analytics derby. 
Now, this is inspired by Ryan O'Hanlon's article on ESPN Plus titled, Ian Graham Help Fix Liverpool, Can He Fix European Soccer? And it talks about how Ian Graham, a lifelong Liverpool fan, once had the opportunity to become the head of head of research at the club, and he helped them become, you know, Champions League winners and Premier League winners by developing a formula, multiple formulas to help them identify talent that other teams wouldn't look for. For example, his formula helped identify Andy Robertson at Hull, get Firmino, Salah, Mane, the list goes on. And in the article, you know, it's basically to promote his new consultancy with the former Liverpool sporting director, Michael Edwards, called Ludonautics. And he mentions that Liverpool, Brentford, and Brighton are the only team in England really using analytics and how they were lucky that Jorgen Klopp, it seemed like he was the perfect manager for it because in Germany, managers aren't the ultimate decision makers like they have been historically in England. Of course, that has all changed for the most part. We're now no more managers. It's just head coaches, except Arsenal. Arteta is still a manager. I think at City, Pep is still a manager, but he always talks about Tichi making different signings. And even at Arsenal, you have Edu making the signings as the technical director. But the funny thing, Marcus, is that <laughs> the homie uh, said that Ian Graham said that the way he was able to convince Jorgen Klopp to believe in the formulas that he told him, yeah, analyze your Dortmund team before you slid in. I, I realized you guys were unlucky. I didn't watch him. Yeah, he said, yeah, he said, I didn't watch him, but I cracked the numbers. And I said, you were unlucky. And then Klopp was like, yeah, we were unlucky. All right, I'll listen to you. <laughs> hey, man, it's funny how no matter what, you just have to sometimes give people a carriage so they can believe. But it worked, right, Marcus? Yeah, he had to feed the ego, bro. But, um, that article, I think it was a dope perspective because the homie that wrote it, he the reporter that wrote it was saying that he was chasing this guy for like a, a long time. And then um, it seemed like Graham was saying like he saw no benefit in giving him an interview because like that would take him away from what he was working on. Um, I, I I mean, I now we see why, Matt, uh, why Michael Edwards and him left randomly last November. Um, kind of fucked this right there, but uh, you know, maybe I was seeing like with this company, maybe um, in the future tense, they could probably try to dang on use them as a consultant firm as well. Um, because like we already data driven, so I think getting a different perspective or outside a third party, a third, you know, what I mean, that you already familiar with wouldn't hurt. But um, the article also explained how with American owners coming in that they would be more open to it because of the different sports like baseball. A lot of those owners are going to be. So we're going to probably see more teams. And then he also talked about how they're only, honestly, he only pretty much named like four or five, let's say like six teams total that are kind of using data. Uh, Tolise, I'm sorry, I pronounced that wrong. Um, AC Milan, Liverpool, Brentford, Brighton, and he said Barcelona in in certain aspects. 
So if he's saying that these are the only teams that are using this at uh this perspective and data, I mean, they're going to probably continue to be like in Europe and advancing further than some of these teams that are like getting caught up in these transfer windows. So it's just a good read, I think. And um, it's just a different perspective because like he's he's like he's not the guy that was getting the transfer. He's just giving the managers and Michael Edwards them the info. Yeah. So they still had to like make a decision with that with that data. So that's kind of dope. Mm-hmm. For sure. And it's interesting because, you know, like we mentioned uh before recording, he highlights Brighton and Brentford, but they don't have American owners. They have British owners. Tony Bloom, the Brighton owner, famous for you know being a poker player or successful gambler who, you know, in that, in that industry, they use analytics a lot for betting, gambling, to find trends and things like that. Um, the Brentford owner, Matthew Benham, used to work at Brighton, so that's how he got hip to the analytics. And then also, he worked at, he worked in finance for City of London. He worked for Bank of America. When you work at... <laughs> Those Fortune 500 entities where big money is involved, you already know you're using analytics and numbers to dictate things. So it is ironic that Chelsea, he mentions in the article, he said, hey, man, sometimes I wish I didn't have formulas and I could just be like Chelsea and spend money and go crazy. That's more fun. (laughs) So, hey, Chelsea, you know, they're on the old school Yankee vibes. They're not on the money ball wave. Arsenal has American owners. We've had... I think we were like one of the first clubs in England to have an analytical arm with stat DNA, but yeah, it didn't really do much for us. Hey, did you catch it? It kind of sounded like he was shitting on Chelsea because that probably was the other team when he was like, it wouldn't be the same of me just putting on a different color jersey and working for them. It sounded like that that your boy Todd just was like, I mean, whatever just offered him some bread was like hey man come do the same thing you did at Liverpool Mm -hmm. but hey he said that his dream he mentions that uh hey if there's a football equivalent of wiki of Willy Wonka that's what we're looking for I was like hey Todd Bowley (laughs) he looks like Willy Wonka to me he's letting it rain (laughs) hey man he's letting it rain but he's he also mentioned that he wants uh a team to try to be more aggressive like put more attackers on the pitch of course, it's about balance in soccer, but he feels like, hey, man, why don't you put more attackers out there? Why don't you try to make things more dangerous? Like you said, with the match against a uh, city and, um, excuse me, Chelsea, Ephraim, create more chaos. Yeah, so, I think, yeah, that, and that, look, that'll bring some Americans into it. I tell you that, um, uh, especially scoring more goals. But I just think you got to be careful. Of, I mean, like, you know, I mentioned this before we, we were started recording. You know, I, I'm not the biggest analytics per, analytics person. Maybe I'm a little old school, but I do understand how they can help. So I just I just think you have to be careful about relying too much on analytics uh, and just make sure you have that, like you said, about balance on the pitch. You have to have balance in that as well. So still rely on your maybe some of your old school scouting and along with the analytics as well. Like find that comp, that balance to get it right. Cause I'm not, I'm not against progression as far as like, you know, new ways to find talent or, or, or analyze the game. Uh, at the same time, I think you just need to have balance. Cause as you said, with Moneyball, right. That baseball team, the Oakland A's that, that movie came out about them. 
using all them analytics, but I don't think that they won a World Series using. They didn't even make the World Series. They didn't even make exactly. So they relied too much. I think that was one of those cases where they relied a little too much on analytics. So just got to be careful about that. But I do, I do appreciate how he did what he did. Um, I like that article. The article is really nice to break that down. So, um, and I and I'm sure with somebody like Jurgen Klopp, that's what exactly what he did. Like he, you, he, he, yeah, great analytics, awesome. But I'm still going to make sure there's a balance between me using my analytics and using my old school scouting system. So, yeah, and the interesting thing is, yeah, the A's didn't even make the World Series, let alone win it. But the Boston Red Sox, led by Fenway Sports Group, who also owns Liverpool, they did win the World Series in 2004 and a couple more times after that, relying on analytics, money, and steroids. So, hey, hey, if you say ultimate balance, paper and better steroids, man, the A's would have won something. The man. ultimate balance right there, right? So, yeah. The A's became the equivalent of what uh, soccer would say, sellers, because they ended yeah. up trading all their stars that they yeah, got. Yeah, moving like Arsenal. Just to keep, just to stay afloat, they had to sell everybody. I mean, the Oakland Athletics are in a weird space right now. Uh, can't get a new stadium. As you guys have noticed in recent years, the other pro teams in Oakland have left. The Warriors went back to San Francisco. The Raiders went to Las Vegas. The A's might go to Vegas, but I'm going to Vegas too. They got yeah, so. concepts and everything ready for them. <laughs> yeah, so. like, seriously, they really do. Oh, ah, yeah, you're right. I've seen yeah. some of them. Yeah, so it is interesting how that all works out. Uh, shout out to Moneyball, though. But uh, Anthony, as a team, as a supporter of a team with an infinite resource of income, do you think? analytics could help identify more hidden talents for you guys? I think analytics had a part to play in getting Doku. Um, Yeah, that's a good point because his pure numbers wouldn't flash at you, but yeah, like the dribbling numbers and things like that, that is a good point. Yeah, yeah. um, And I think uh, we actually talked about just our transfer window this over the summer. I think uh, analytics had a lot to do with that because uh, how we got Nunez, um, I believe I'm saying his name right. The, yeah, Matthias Nunez. Yeah. And before you guys were looking at Olise. Yeah, so we had we were looking for people with a certain trait, dribbling mm-hmm. trait or something. So um, I don't know if they were using Football Manager or something, but they were they were using something to figure out like, hey, this guy's just like this other person. So I, I mean, think Kovacic. Like who thought who would have thought that, right? Yeah, I'm I'm believing analytics goes into a lot. Once you have a, a lot of the resources, you can uh in defense of Efra's point, throw money at analytics instead of using like yo, uh intuition or we looking for this or we gotta go after that. You actually can study like, oh, this per this you can't have money for that. And so yeah, um, I'm all for it. Cause look at Doku, man. It's like he's a a variable of the equation that now you see the number and it's like, Oh wow. Like he, he really does fit. This is it. And so that's from an analytics. That's tight. For sure. Now this is old school thought. This is an analytics driven, but the cool thing in the article is that the homie Ian Graham mentioned that um, 
if you find an elite skill that a player does, like, hey, he gets a lot of shots on target, some people might try to say, oh, what a, what about his all-around play? What about, does he help his teammates? And he say, hey, man, I hear you, but he can put a lot of shots on target. And that that connects to what Killian Mbappe did this weekend for PSG. They defeated Rhymes 3-0. He had a hat trick. But after the match, <laughs> Luis Enrique, his manager, or head coach, was not impressed. And this is his quote, guys, as told to Amazon Prime. And I quote, I am not very happy with Killian today. I'm going to tell him first. And after that, I will never tell you because it's not public. We think Killian is one of the top players in the world, no doubt about that, but we need more. We want him to do more things. That's my opinion, end quote. Now, the more things that he's talking about is stepping up defensively to assist his teammates. I wish Claytis was here because 10 years ago, Jose Mourinho was complaining about Cristiano Ronaldo's lack of work rate. And like I always say, hey, man, you're always as good as your influences. They be complaining about Erling Holland, you know, not doing enough. I say, hey, man, I never seen anyone complain about Cristiano's playmaking. All y'all want is goals, right? Same thing as Mbappe. Hey, man, I'm just going to give you goals. So what do you guys think about this? Does Kylian Mbappe have to do more to help his team win, or should he just prioritize scoring goals? I think it's a... I don't know. It's kind of, I think it's kind of like a double-edged sword on this one. I think depending on how your manager wants you to play, but if you're not that kind of player, right, that's not in your DNA. It's going to be hard for somebody like Killian Mbappe to just all of a sudden start picking up how to press or pressing triggers and things like that. If that's not something he was always doing, he may not understand, you know, I'm not saying he can't learn it. He's still a young man. So he can, he can learn some things, but yeah, I, I I don't necessarily have a problem with him scoring goals, doing what he's supposed to be doing. As I mentioned with Erlen Holland, uh, when we you know when we first started talking about his quote unquote deficiencies, he's doing exactly what they ask him to do. If you're winning matches and he's the lead, lead league leader in scoring goals, and you are the leader of the uh, the the league that you're in, I mean I'm not saying he can't do more, but my goodness, not to, to and also to call him out publicly. And say that I'm not going to say anything more. I mean, come on, bro. You already said enough. You said exactly what you said. And so we already know. <laughs> so you kind of contradicting yourself because you already then told us what, how you feel about what he said. He could have easily said something like, I just need, you know, uh, Killian can do more. Or, you know, I would like to see him do more without necessarily saying I'm not happy with him. Because now we know. Um, but, yeah, I don't necessarily have a problem killing Bobby Ben. We've already talked about it. A lot. There's quite a few of us that think he's one of the best players, if not the best player in the world right now. So, um, yeah, I'm cool with it. I have no problem with it. I think it's Luis Enrique was a little out, just a little out of line for that. Hey, Ephraim, don't you think maybe because it was on Amazon Prime, Jeff Bezos said, "Give us something juicy." <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's funny. I, maybe, yeah, maybe he did that, but. uh yeah, I, I think he just should have kept that one in house and just just said something a little more broad, not necessarily as uh, criticize him as much. Anthony, do you think that uh, Lucho might have been this extra in his critique because he's a streamer? You know, you know, streamers give it up. You got to be honest when you're a streamer. You can't you can't lie to your chat. 
Yeah, I almost thought he was about to drop his uh Twitch stream tag tag after that because he know he was saying something hot. So <laughs> yeah, man, he know what he was doing. Um, we're in a media social social media driven world, and man, people want to be seen and want what they said heard. So he knows what he did. Marcus, do you think uh, the criticism was fair and uh, do you respect the approach? Because I feel, I mean, this is the type of stuff Jose Mourinho did all the time. And they say, oh, yeah, that's real management. That's real coaching. Uh, what do you think? Do you think that uh, it's fair to do this publicly? In this situation, with this dude and knowing he about to dip, why? Like, you can do that. Maybe, maybe he's not dipping. Maybe that's why he's talking that good. Like, where you going, boy? You see Real Madrid signing everybody. They don't really. Oh, want oh, you. oh! He boss it. You think he boss it? This is. I like, don't know. Maybe an example. Gotta... <laughs> maybe like, hey, where you going? But you better relax, cause that man will get you sat down. Yeah, real quick, I was about to say, Marcus, you already know how it is at PSG. This player power all day long. Man, you already know, man. If for him to sign. That's total control. He gonna have to. He probably must about to be like, man, y'all gotta wipe Neymar memory away Ooh. for me to stay here. Hey, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, welcome to the show, Cletus. Uh man, how you living? Man, just another day, man. I apologize for being late, fellas. Sorry, man. Corporate America is is hot right now, man. You know the that fourth quarter is no joke, man. But uh, we want your thoughts on uh, Luis Enrique publicly criticizing Kylian Mbappe after he scored a hat trick. Uh, I was telling the guys that this is rem- reminiscent of uh, ten years ago. How I think it was when Real Madrid played Valencia, and after the match. Jose Mourinho criticized Cristiano for his lack of work rate and saying, hey, your teammates sacrificed so much for you to score. Why don't you help them out so that we have a more balanced side? And like I always say, man, you're only as good as your influences. So now Cristiano's best son is also getting criticized for his lack of work rate on the wing. So what do you think about that? Yeah, um, I wouldn't compare him to the Cristiano because I feel like Cristiano's production, and I still feel like he still contribute, maybe not to the high level as Mourinho be like him, but Cristiano still, you know, was striking back and still trying to produce for the team, whether it was the goals or the assists. But I think with Kenny, and he's more like, if it doesn't come to me, I'm not moving. So, like, he'll just pretty much just, like, kind of wait out on the wing or just wait up top and wait for, like, the attack to kick off. Like, he won't really track back. He's looking more so for, like, his individual, you know, brilliance. And I feel like what Enrique is trying to tap into him is that, yeah, you could, you know, be brilliant on your own. You could do everything. But, like, if you really want to take it that extra step further than you, you need to start doing these type of things because that's what's going to separate you. Or pushing the classes of the Cristianos and the Messi's, like, you're looking to be in. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that modern players nowadays are kind of cuddled and baby too much. You can't really say nothing bad against them. So I have nothing against it, man. Just because at the end of the day, Killian kind of got what he wanted. He said he wanted his, his friends around. He wanted to get Messi, Neymar, and the rest of the South American guys out of there. 
they did it. They brought in, you know, Mbappe, Kulamani, you know, Lucas Hernandez came, you know, and they haven't stopped yet. So there isn't a reason for you not to produce. I like how you try to act like Cristiano was doing more because I found a quote from your big brother, Emmanuel Adebayo. He talked about Mourinho criticizing everyone in the locker room. This is what he said. And I quote Cristiano. I'm going to stop you there. Yeah, Cristiano took it. Ronaldo would score a hat trick and he will still talk about him. So it's the same thing. Yeah, but um, how long was Adebayo at Real Madrid? Long enough to see Mourinho yell at Cristiano. What happened? And what happened to Jose Mourinho? Why did he get fired? Because Sergio Ramos doesn't know how to score a penalty. Oh, yeah. All right. And also, you know, like you mentioned, PSG, Real Madrid, star-driven team at that era. What happened? You think it's a coincidence that right after the harsh management of Jose Mourinho, they got Mr. Friendship, Carlo Ancelotti? I don't think it's yeah, a of course. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, Jose was like, I think that Jose period at Madrid was vital for those players because uh, it was. He gave them the structure to win because yeah, like he, he drilled he, into them like a counterattacking team that they became. Yeah, he built that. Mm-hmm. And you know, the, another reason why I'm highlighting that is because when I came home from work, something crossed like my my IG. And then I had to watch the destruction of Barcelona. And then I had to take it back to the 2011-2012 era. And then the 10 and 11, just to see how dynamic and how, like, counterattacking the team and how, God, that team was loaded. And then demolished Barcelona, and I loved it. Not to turn this on to Cristiano, but... I think this is more so a function of the systems that teams play now. If you look at in the past, the luxury players played in the middle of the pitch where teams weren't pressing, the intensity wasn't the same way, so they weren't asked to do more. If you're on the flanks, you have more responsibility to press because the aspect of the fullback and the winger. And we see that often now, even Messi. No one walks more than Messi in the last probably seven, eight years in football. As he's gotten older, his pressing has diminished. But peak Messi, Suarez, Neymar, we saw that MSN team work hard for each other, very unselfish, and they worked well. They won the trouble. Um, but it's like with Mbappe, he got Messi and Neymar as older men. And, you know, as the youngest player, maybe he was supposed to do more defensively, but he was walking with them as well. And obviously it didn't work out. Now you have a situation with Usman Dembele. That brother isn't really known for his work rate, but he's trying. Colomwani hasn't really cracked off so far. Ramos, Gonzalo Ramos has been all right. So now you're asked to do more because the balance to get it right you know moving forward because yeah you guys should win league on but if you want to win the champions league you got to do more against the top side so i can understand it and hey i'd like to see it but like you mentioned Ephraim, if you don't program that into them as kids they're not going to do it when they turn in 25 next month because look at a vinicius and rodrigo for example they're among the highest 
rates and uh for pressing, tackling, all that, because they joined Real Madrid at 18, and this is what you had to do to play. So now it's instilled in them. But yeah. I mean, let's, I mean, we talked about analytics and stuff earlier, and that's this is where analytics can help you, right? Is to figure out, all right, if I'm going to scout a player, Doku, you know, we'll go back to Man City real quick, things like that that you wouldn't even think about would would fit a system like that. But but they must do something. They must do something that that really attracts the manager, attracts the scouting team. Say we need to get this guy or get the, you know. So it, it's also about like, yeah, man, you you got to already have it in you, or or you have to come up through a system that has already kind of uh, uh, um, uh, pushed that, pushed, pushed you to do that, I should say. So, yeah, man, it, it's, it's a, I, I'm not, I won't, I'm not mad at killing and Bobby doing what he's supposed to do. He's supposed to score goals. Like you, you mentioned it. We don't get mad at Cristiano Ronaldo for doing what he's supposed to do. Um, you know, I don't get mad at Erlen Holland for doing what he's supposed to do. So yeah, man, I'm the same way with him. I'm going to be consistent. Right now in league on, in 11 matches, Mbappe has 13 goals and one assist. <laughs> and in the, let's see, in the Champions League so far, he has, uh, let me see, excuse me for the low time. In the Champions League so far, he has two goals in four matches, zero assists. So it, yeah, I, I can see. We're just talking about the goals. I think you need more in the Champions League, but eh, we'll, we'll see. But uh, let's talk about a guy who is doing everything for his team. Scoring goals, creating assists, pressing, moving around to bring other people on the play. Harry Kane. Right now, the brother, If I'm correct me if I'm wrong, Cletus. I know you're the Bayern expert here. He has 17 goals. And six assists in 11 matches or so. Uh, my man has been going crazy. I think it's, you know, after Jude Bellingham's injury, Harry Kane became the most talked about and informed player in the top five European leagues. Uh, Cletus, break it down for me. What do you think about Harry Kane's performance so far? And do you think that he can have a better or a bigger impact than Lewandowski in terms of, you know, goals scored, chances created, and potentially winning, you know, more silverware. Well, not more because Lewandowski <laughs> was there longer, but you know what I mean. Yeah, man. HK9, Harry Kane. Um, I'm I'm pleased with the production I'm seeing so far when he's contributed to the team. Um, there's, I think there's like a lot of reasons why he's benefiting. And one, I think comes down to the fact that he's more of a team player. He's willing to like, kind of, you know, help the other, uh, wingers kind of like get on the ball and get their goals as well. As where Lewandowski, he's more of like the finished product where like he is the one that's going to finish. He's kind of looking to be the one that's going to score the goals in the hat trick. And, Although I don't want to say like he had issues with players in the team, I just think Harry's more like a friendlier guy. He's like gotten close to the the to the guys a lot closer than Lewandowski was, and I think that kind of like helps their relationship, especially with him and uh, Leroy. Like they like they're looking for each other so much as like to the points like even like as a fan, you already know where they're gonna be at and like where they're gonna pass the ball. So it's good to see that their partnership is like is you know working really well. 
He's playing, you know, well with Musiala, Muller, um, and he's helped Tell a lot as well. Like when Tell comes to the game, you see that Kane becomes more of a distributor looking to get like Tell on the end of things, looking for him because Tell creates, he always makes something happen. But I'm I'm pleased with Harry Kane. I think at first he was trying to get his groove where he'll drop into the middle a little bit too much and it'll be harder for like Sané to find him when he dribbles up top. But now like they're finding the right rhythm the perfect combination and you know Kane is he's producing it's like you'll get the ball turn shoots goal and you're like okay all right I think it was his goal against goal in the Champions League or this weekend where like he had this header where like he's just it just looks so lethal he had like so much power behind it like each week he just gets better and better for sure and uh before we go back to Harry Kane, I just had to mention this propaganda I saw real quick. Shout out to Anthony. You mentioned how Harry, uh, how Jeremy Doku, it looks like it could have been an analytical signing, and I agree with you because based on his pure goals and assists, nothing would stand out, but, you know, his dribbling, carrying numbers, it's through the roof. And I went on Twitter real quick, and the first thing that I see in my face is Football manager Jeremy Doku, find your next wonder kid. Hey man, what it was? Hey Anthony, did you do? Did you press a button? Hey, nah, man. I just learning from you. <laughs> that that football manager opened doors, man. So hey. I, I know it was, I knew it was behind something. Hey, and, <laughs> yeah, that joke is hilarious. But uh, Anthony, what are your thoughts on? Harry Kane so far in a do you think the best player in the world can be in the Bundesliga? Uh, yeah, because if not, y'all, everybody's argument about Lewandowski being robbed from the Ballon d'Or uh like two years ago would would wouldn't make sense. So yeah, I believe the best player can be in the Bundesliga. But to Harry Kane, um I remember saying, man, that man, he made the right decision leaving Tottenham. And online, the trolls were trying to make him feel bad once Tottenham was uh, atop of the league for like two weeks or whatever, like a whatever second that was. <laughs> but I already know, like, man, he, he he's where he wants to be, playing Champions League ball for a team that he could possibly win it for. He's about possibly going to win the, their league as well. Um, he's contributing. They needed a striker. He fit right in. He's balling out. And it's perfect, man. I don't <laughs> let him cook. It's so perfect that according to football reference, you know, they like to make comparisons. The most similar player to Harry Kane in the last 365 days is Robert Lewandowski. <laughs> he got another one. Except this one is a better playmaker. Ephraim, same thing to you. Can the best yeah. player in the world be in the Bundesliga? Oh, for sure. Because if we, we talk about Kylian Mbappe being one of the best players in the world and he plays yeah. for... Yeah, one yeah. of them. Is, is he the best, though? I think I think uh, because he's in France, no one's going to call him the man. <laughs> we gave it to him because of the World Cup more, though, more Fair. than what he did in France. That's true. No, I'll give you that. Uh, yeah, I mean, or maybe it's fair to call Harry Kane one of the best, or, or the best in form right now, right? So... Yeah, I think he can be. Absolutely. 
I think they need to shore up some things in their league. But yeah, they, they're they're killing they're killing it in the Premier League. I mean, the uh, Champions League. Uh, they I don't think they've lost a match. So they're they got what twelve points out of four matches. Uh, he scored four ma- four goals in four matches. Seventeen goals in eleven matches is insane. Um, and he also has five assists. So, um, yeah, he picked, he made the right choice. I agree with Anthony on that. I don't think he was ever going to get anywhere with Tottenham. They're always going to be overachievers. Yeah, they they were in top of the league for a half a second, but that was never going to last. Um, and he knew he had to go somewhere else, and it, as much as it broke his heart. But he's killing he's killing it right now. And I think yeah, if he keeps up his pace, we're talking about Blondor for him as well. So uh, yeah, he, he he's uh, definitely got the attention of the world right now. So um, kudos to him for that move. Marcus, do you know the last Bundesliga player to win the Ballon d'Or? <laughs> Snyder didn't win it, right? No. He was at, he he was was at, at Inter. Yeah. Was it Gerd? Nah, more recent. Cletus, no. you got it? Last Bundesliga player to win the Ballon d'Or? Number 10. Can, can you say that again? I'm sorry. The, the infamous number 10, a.k.a. the reporter that, that knows everything going on at Bayern. Oh, no. No, no. The answer is... Uh, it's Mathias. not Aaron Robbins, is it? Nah, the answer is Matthias Sammer for yeah. Borussia Dortmund 1996. Oh, and shit. the reason why he really won it is because of how well he played in Euro 96 more so than what he did in the Bundesliga, even though that year Dortmund did win the Bundesliga. So I think that did help him, but it was mostly because of what he did at the Euros. So it is interesting. And before that, the last attacker to win the Ballon d'Or and play in the Bundesliga is Karl Heinz Rummenigge, who won it back-to-back years, 1980 and 1981. But that was when it was only for European players. If it was open to everyone around the world, it probably would have went to Maradona or Zico because they were going crazy. But that's another story for another day. So do you think, Cletus, that we know UEFA is linking up with the Ballon d'Or, so they're going to size performances in the Champions League and Euros more than ever? We know next year is a Euro year. Do you think... Harry Kane can win that Ballon d'Or if England wins the final, or do you think he? It's more so about what he does at the club. How do you think his, I guess, overall performance for club and country can influence this potential Ballon d'Or? The the difference between Harry Kane and potentially Lewandowski or with Lewandowski is that the marketing behind them is a bit different. He's filming like with Poland, there isn't a marketing machine that, you know, like that focuses on uh, football the way English media does. And I think with that, with English media, if Harry Kane has a good World Cup and let's say Byron wins the Champions League, then I could see their marketing machine ramping up to the degree that like Harry Kane is going to be a slam dunk in winning the Ballon d'Or. And then it's going to be a ripple effect of, oh, maybe we need to start looking at the Bundesliga more. Oh, we need to start looking at the other leagues. And then 
other players like, oh, maybe I don't need to be in England to win a Ballon d'Or. I'm going to Bayern now. I'm going to PSG. I'm going to go to Inter Milan. But, you know, it just depends on how the season goes for him. If if Bayern Munich is to win the Champions League and maybe England goes to the semifinal or Bayern Munich goes to the to the final or semifinal and England wins the Euros, then yeah, I could see Harry Kane, you know, potentially winning it. For sure. Now, Marcus, we know the last Euro England made the final. They lost to Italy on penalties. They have, you can argue their team now is more talented than then, especially when you have the ascension of Jude Bellingham. Saka is continuing to get better by the day. Foden is continuing to get better by the day. Rashford, I don't know, but that's another story for another day. Claytis can educate us on that. <laughs> another he can time. be dropped. I'll just say it right now. He can be dropped. <laughs> but uh, what do you think, Marcus? Do you think England are the favorites to win Euros next year right now, especially if Harry Kane and Jude can stay on form? Who's the Who are the defenders? Italy. Cody? Oh, oh, the defenders. Oh, I thought you meant... Oh, yeah. Cody and Harry Maguire? Well, they Mark Gay is getting called. You know, maybe Tamori will get off the blacklist and you know get a chance. You know, yeah, we know Tamori not coming. We more going. We more. It. It. We'll probably see uh the Chelsea dude, Carwell or whatever his name is. Oh, Levi. Yeah, Levi. Yeah, he's been called up. He's good though. He he's been called up. He's left footed. You know, they teams want that balance now. I'm just gonna be honest with you, bro. We seen Harry Maguire and um, who the fuck that was? A Dyer? Hell no. Hey. If we saying Hendo, hell no. <laughs> well, <laughs> if you don't give Jude them keys, and I don't know, let Saka run that front, and I guess who is the striker? Harry Kane, man. No, he can't play every game. Yes, he can. It's yeah, zero, yeah, if I'm if I'm too cold, I would tell them he can't play every game. Nah, man, you, you gotta play, man. This Euros, man. Hey, man, you better. England's call never up, won this. Low key, you better call up Sterling as your backup striker. Nah, nah. Well, hey, man. Hey, can 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 our suspended boy play? Well, Ivan Tony, no, he can't play. <laughs> hey, that brother better go play for Jamaica and look straight, man. Hey, hey, bro. Hey, he coming back though in uh, uh I think January. Yeah. And so this suspension will be over soon. And I'm so I would I'm nervous. I would say you know he coming to y'all squad. Relax. Yeah, that's why I'm nervous. Claytis Claytis told Chelsea to chill. They don't want him anymore. And I'm getting nervous. I don't really want him. I want a superstar striker, man. Bro, not no Brentford, the... not no Brentford gambler. Come on, bro. Lancy Foe, bro. Get the city lit. Uh, but yeah, I, I think the team, the England team probably got the most chemistry at uh outside of maybe like the Spain t- the Spain ain't even in this competition, correct? Nah, uh-huh. they'll be at Euros. They'll be there. Oh, so no, England not winning this shit. What you you think Spain is better than them? They got more youth. I mean, but but hey, what I will say is is if you don't mind me interrupting, Marcus, I, I think this is what Belgium was. They chance they go. This chance. is it. This is this is the golden time for a lot of these players. Now, obviously, we have like people like Drew Bellingham coming, coming up. I is think this really? is the beginning yeah. of it. Yeah, absolutely, I do. I think this is the beginning of what we were talking about with Belgium 
uh, a couple World Cups ago about them. This is this is the time for them to get it together, and this is the best chance for them to start. This team is younger, time. though. If you look at the core of England, soccer twenty two, Odin's twenty three, Declan Rice is twenty four, Trent's twenty five, Cole Palmer right. just got called up twenty one, Gallagher twenty three. I think no, right. That's what I'm saying. The beginning of it. The beginning of this. Like Belgium never even made a final. That's what I'm, I'm saying. I'm like uh, Belgium ain't even here. Belgium never. They made a final four years ago as kids. Right now they're getting better. Think about it. Think about all oh, the no. kids that missed the penalty. Saka, oh, uh, sure. Rash. They're all getting better. That's why I'm like, I think they are. I think sure? they're favorites. I think they are too, though. I think they're the favorites as well. And I wouldn't sit there and, and I hear you being down on Harry Maguire, but you can. Hey, look. One thing you can say, he he plays very well for England. For some reason, he turns it up for them. So. I hear you about the back four. Maybe Stones will be a better uh, when he gets healthy. He'll be a better option back there with Harry Maguire. But uh, hey, look, yeah, I agree. I think I think this is it for, for. I think they're one of the one of the favorites for sure. They have they have a phenomenal team. I think. I think Harry Kane is a baller. I believe that he was going to stay in England to try to break Alan Shearer's record because I believe staying at Tottenham for so long broke him, and he had no longer any ambition to achieve anything on the club stature. I'm glad I was wrong and he still has a soul and wants to win big things. But the reason why I ask, can you be the best player in the world in the Bundesliga is because you realize after Messi and Cristiano dominated this conversation for over a decade and raised the game up to a new standard, we've tried to, you know, amplify Mbappe He hasn't earned it so far to many people's eyes, including me. We tried to amplify Holland. I think Holland deserved the Ballon d'Or, but some people feel like, oh, you know, he's not the best all-around player, which is true. Like, Harry Kane is a better all-around player than Erling Holland, but, you know, that's why it's like, you notice no one really talks about the best player in the world anymore because it's like we realize no one is – we don't know if anyone will ever reach that standard that Messi and Cristiano did again. So that's what makes it all interesting. What do you guys think of that? Yeah, it might be one of those things where it's a continuous ebb and flow of, of who's the best player. It's probably going to rely on form at the time, maybe a year, maybe two years. Uh, and then somebody else comes and takes the key. I mean, but yeah, it, it it's, it's not, it's probably never going to be a concrete thing, honestly. Yeah, and that's the cool thing about it. You're right. I think this conversation is fun. And like you mentioned, E, I think, yeah, it will be different people having their time to shine, just like how it was in the 2000s where it wasn't no repeat Ballon d'Or winners. So uh, let's move on. Uh, Marcus, it's playoff time in America. I just want to be the first to give you my condolences. I know Atlanta United, you know, didn't really do well against Columbus, got slid. But uh, educate us on what's going on, because this this best of three format is interesting for the playoffs now. Nah, it's single elimination at this point. 
Oh yeah, I mean before before you know the semifinal. Yeah. yeah, we was out here playing like playoffs and baseball and in the NBA. But like I said, for Atlanta United, how do you do that? We just wiped them yeah. off the flow at home, and then we go there and look like shit. I mean, we just gonna run through the table on the east side. All the top seeds got through Cincinnati, Philadelphia, Orlando, and like how Dan said, Columbus. Uh, we we <laughs> we don't even need to go through the results, man. Like I said, we we'll, we we'll go a little bit more in depth. Uh, next, what is it? We won't be back to the twenty fifth to twenty sixth, but we'll go in depth because that's the final. Uh, four games we right before the conference we in the semifinals and on the west side we got east i mean we got houston as the number four seed we got kansas city as the number eight seed we got seattle as the number two and we got lafc and those are our matchups going into the semifinals we're gonna have to catch out next week man i mean well we ain't gonna catch out to the 20 to after uh thanksgiving bro with with the next mls oh yeah because it's international breaks right now yeah yeah bro we sipping tea bro we relax (laughs) for sure for sure and uh next week maybe we can break down claytis can educate us on uh wayne rooney (laughs) moving lost in birmingham okay but his uh, record yeah, he left yeah, DC. He left DC to struggle. Hey man, yeah, he he in the bottom of the league right now. Yeah, he it was, like, it was like fifth or something, and now they're like fifteenth or something, right, Clay? Yeah, started in sixth place. Now they're in like fifteenth. He he needs to go be a father. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hey man. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's hilarious, uh, man. We at the end of the show. It's time for champagne. Move it a week. I'll start it off, man. I've I've been looking at the Saudi Pro League, just trying to pay attention to what's going on. I read an article on the Athletic about the attendance not being the greatest. You know, it's a, it's a real pandemic in the world. A lot of money isn't really flowing like it used to, so it's harder for things to enjoy. Things like going to live sporting events, but. I saw something that blew my mind, man. Frank Casey, one-on-one dribbling. My man was about to fall. He was about to lose the ball. So what did he do, guys? My man used to say, yeah, I turned into basketball. I'm going to use my hand and direct the ball. And no one called. No one seen it. I said, oh, okay. Shout out to the referees in the Saudi Super League, man. Hear no evil, see no evil, man. (laughs) So shout out to Casey, man, moving dirty in the streets. Uh, Claytis, what's your champagne move of the week? Man, it's going to go to that boy, Leroy Sané. Crazy dribbling. Had like four people on him. My boy dropped the shoulder, like turned to the right, lost four defenders at once. I'm like, yeah, this boy's different. He, he, he's in form right now. For sure. Anthony, what's your champagne move of the week? My move of the week is going to be my goal of the week as well. Nice. After the Chelsea versus City match, Holland said uh, he had never scored with his balls before. His <laughs> The third goal um, that allowed us to go up after halftime, Holland slid and the ball did not touch his feet. It touched his nutsack and he scored. So that is my move and goal of the week. 
What a baller. Shout out to Thomas Muller and Raheem Sterling. They're the kings of that. <laughs> Definitely seen those boys do that. You know, the fox in a box goal. That was a new thing for Holland. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Marcus, what's your champagne move of the week? Uh, I was going to go with the outside goals from uh, Nunez. But um, <laughs> I'm going to go with uh, Simicast, bro. Never give up. Play that shit to the – hey, look, play that shit to they got to go to VAR and make sure that you that, it, that the ball didn't get on the line. Okay, my boy did, did a sliding assist to Mo to break a record. How how, how much? Hey, look, that shit is beautiful. The show, <laughs> Ephraim. What's your champagne move of the week? Uh, mine's gonna be uh, Mauricio Pochettino's tactics. Mm. I think uh, he did a good job. I give credit where it's due. I think he did a good job of uh, of yeah, creating some great tactics to uh, go up against Man City. I dig that. I dig that. Anthony already let us know his champagne goal of the week. Uh, my champagne goal of the week. I'm gonna give it to. I'm gonna give it to Cole Palmer, man. He had nerves of steel. I'm sure he was excited by the opportunity to equalize this match to be a young player and already have the responsibility of taking penalties. It's a big deal. And, um, you know, while everybody was complaining whether it was a penalty or not, because if you look at the replay, you know, when you watch it live, it does look like Ruben Diaz is moving mad. But on the replay, he does get the ball first, but still his leg was a little too high. I understand why they called it. And while everybody was complaining, Cole Palmer was dolo with the ball, looking straight. Holland and the other City players try to go over there and get in his head, but he was looking so straight. And, yeah, he banged it. No questions asked. Uh, Ephraim, what's your champagne goal of the week? I guess it's going to be a Man City-Chelsea uh, uh, segment. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and give it to another one. Um, Tiago Silva, I'm going to give him his his due. He's the oldest player to score a, league, a, a goal in the Premier League in like 10 years or something. Uh, so, yeah, uh, I think he, it was the 1-1. Uh, the, the equalizer from uh, 1-0. So, yeah, shout out to Tiago Silva for that. For sure. Now, you could also give him champagne goal of the week for that big deflecto he gave Rodri. <laughs> but, uh, Marcus, what's your champagne goal of the week? Excellent finish. You know how that thing go, man. The Most record. Two hundo. We won't care about them two from Chelsea. Two hundo, man. History, man. Recognize, man. We seeing one of the best wingers in our lifetime, man. <laughs> For sure. Salute to Salah, Claytis. What's your champagne goal of the week? Yeah, each and every goal that we put on those fuck niggas' heads over at Man City. <laughs> Whoa, hey, look at him. Got excited. Yeah, I hear you. They were nice, you know. Well taken yeah. goals. No, even the little Jackson little poacher goal, it was nice. You know, the way he, he turned, got the little flick on, and got his little dance on, you know. It was nice. <laughs> the show. Well, I'm going to start it with you, Clay. This who you in the club with. Yeah, man. I'm going to go ahead and take my coaches to the club, you know, since international break. 
Pochettino and Tucho. You know, Tucho, uh, hopefully he doesn't drink too much. But, yeah, you know, we we, we outside. Yeah, I dig that. Marcus, who you in the club with? Me. I guess. I guess. I, I mean, Luis Diaz in the fam, bro. Shit. We together. My boy back reunited with his fam, bro. So we gonna pull up. For sure, for sure. Salute to Papa Diaz being home, man. Ephraim, who you in the club with? I'm bringing them delusional Chelsea fans for thinking they won a match uh, with a 4-4 draw. Still sitting in 10th place. But hey, come on in the club with me. Yeah, they twerking for a draw, man. I never seen it. I thought a club that were serial winners would never be happy with one point. But hey, it's a new world, I guess. Anthony, who are you in the club with? Yeah, I'm with Ephraim. I'm in club delusion now with 10th place Chelsea. All, all, all them, all them guys can pull up with me. Oh man, hey, I want to be in that club. I, you made me switch up my my guest list, Anthony. Hey, <laughs> club delusion now, hey man, I'm bringing Neymar with me for dropping his head top. He's losing his head. He's losing his mind. You know, and hey, you see him cut his all his hair off, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's losing his top. Yeah. He's, he's, he's hey, I got one him. more. I got one more. Damn, real quick, Go ahead. Uh, Leverkusen. Leverkusen for being uh, top of the Bundesliga right now. Yeah, they doing their thing. And, hey, them being strong will help people watch the Bundesliga more because it's not a foregone conclusion that Bayern will win, even though we know Bayern will win. But, hey, you know, never cruising is keeping it hot for now. But, yeah, in the club, I'm I'm bringing Neymar. Like I said, I'm bringing the NWSL. Shout out to the rain, you know, getting that L on your head top. <laughs> Shout out to Gotham for getting it done and winning. My my guest of honor is Ali Krieger. You already know what it is. Shout out Woodbridge Forest Park, everybody. And yeah, man, we, we got to do a big four, man. She's a real legend. And I, I do respect her career. It's real, very impressive if you look it up. If you're bored, look up Ali Krieger's career, man. She was doing it big for a long time when, like I said, when American women were afraid to go to Europe, she was there balling, won the Champions League, did everything. So Salute to her for a phenomenal career. But, hey, this is Champagne Soccer. Well, I'll let y'all next week. It's international break. World Cup qualifiers going on. A lot of hot things still continuing in this game. But before we leave, Marcus, what we got to do, man? Hey, man, Till next time, keep them pinkies up, man.